Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's turn uh, to the Gospel of Luke. We're continuing our study. Uh, One of the things, uh, for those of you visiting, uh, we go through a book of the Bible, because I believe that's the way God intended for us to study His Word, is to go through a letter at a time, a writing at a time. You'd You'd never get a letter from your sweetheart and just read one line or maybe part of it, and then never look at the rest of it, would you? No. I know some of you guys, probably when you was dating your sweetie, you'd smell it. <sighs> you'd pass it around let others smell it, probably. Shame on you. But anyway, you, you savored that letter. You read the whole thing, man, and you wouldn't just read it once. You'd read it over and over and over again. Some of you might even have highlighted it. I don't know. Um, but look, our Lord and our Savior... He's given us, God has given us His Word. He has written to you and to me. And what a privilege to be able to open the letter that He's written to us and to read it. And so I I hope that you will delight in reading God's Word, not just here on Sundays, but during the week. Open it up, savor it, um, and uh, just enjoy your time with the Lord. If you need a Bible, there should be a Bible in front of you. Uh, we try to put some in the pews, so if you need one, please uh, take one from there. And um, uh, if you don't have one, you can just take it home, as long as you use it. So, uh, anyways, look, if you would, we're continuing our, our uh, study through the Gospel of Luke. We are finding ourselves in chapter 9 today. So, if you would, find your place, chapter 9. And we'll be looking at, uh, Lord willing, about nine verses today. And uh, we're going to try and stop uh, because there's this actually runs through to probably the, the, the thought here that Luke is writing uh, goes a lot further uh, through about verse 17. But I want to pause and save that section for next week. Uh, with that said, uh, I've got two points, a uh, two-point outline that's uh, for today, but it will be three when all is complete and done. Uh, just again to capture what Luke is, is trying to share here in the context of this writing. Pastor Stephen J. Cole said the following, One of the greatest privileges God has entrusted to us is that we've been chosen to carry on the work that Jesus Christ came to this earth to accomplish. Just before He ascended, He told His disciples... You shall be witnesses. Acts 1.8 You shall be witnesses. We are here today as Christians because someone in the chain was faithful to let us, to tell us of the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You ever think about that? Aren't you glad someone was faithful enough to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe it was a pastor, maybe it was a friend, maybe it was a mom, maybe it was a Sunday school teacher, a friend, a co-worker, but somewhere along the way you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. You heard the good news of how Christ came to save your soul. What if they'd have never told you? So if you know that and you appreciate that, let me ask you a question. Why are we having such a hard time telling others? And if it's such great news, and it is, 
It's life-transforming news. It's the kind of news that takes a former alcohol user, drug user, and changes their life completely 180, makes them a pastor. It's the kind of news that takes someone who's suicidal and gives them a reason to live. I mean, it's, it's good news. So, this month we've sort of been emphasizing the Billy Graham, uh, My Hope America. We had a great get-together um, this past week. We had some uh, young families together and were able to share the gospel of Christ through the Billy Graham video. Uh, I think we were pushing somewhere, counting all the children that were there, maybe close to 40. And again, an opportunity to tell others about Christ. Church, this needs to be your mission. This is our mission. This is why we're here, to tell others about our Lord and Savior. Notice if you would in the text, let's begin our reading. Chapter 9, verse 1. Then... He called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed. Because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead. And by some that Elijah had appeared. And by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. Herod said, John I've beheaded. But who is this of whom I hear such things? So he sought to see him. Father, I pray today that... um, You just let me be a vessel for your honor. Lord, I pray that you give me the words to speak. I pray that you help me to have recall of the things that have been studied. But Lord, more importantly, I pray that I would proclaim your truth and the power of God, that our hearts would be open to receive the truth, and that the Spirit of God would work in the lives of each individual that's listening today. Lord, you'd remove any distractions, that minds would be attentive, that they would not drift. Um, Lord, or be distracted in any way, but that we might just draw near to You and hear the words You've written to us. This is written, Lord, that we might know more of You and know You more. And so, Father, I pray that through the Spirit of God today that You make Yourself known, and I pray that Jesus Christ will be lifted high. And we'll give You the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. A lot to unpack in this text. There's some good stuff. And I will say this. I'm going to be very transparent with you today. 
there is a passage here, there's a verse that we're going to look at, Lord willing, this morning that I don't have a real solid answer on. There's a seeming contradiction, and we're going to look at it. And I want to throw it out there in the honest way, simply because I want you to go home and do some homework on it. Now, I've got a piece in my heart of where I am and my understanding on it, and I'll share that with you, because I think that's important. But, um, but there's some, some good things in here we're going to unpack, and I hope, as a result, your faith is challenged, and I pray that your faith is strengthened. Um, so, with that said, let's, let's kind of begin to unpack this text. Remember, Jesus has uh, done a lot. Luke has been writing uh, thematically, not chronologically, but he's thematically began to lay out some things to, to identify who Christ is. We saw how he calmed the storm, power over nature. We saw how he went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And he cast out the demon and the man who was possessed by maybe as many as 6,000. Uh, we know that there was like 3,000 pigs or, uh, and he cast the demons into them and they all ran off. So we know there was a, the man was pretty infested. I mean, that was worse than our roaches in the kitchen the other week. Anyway, oh, I'm sorry. Um, but it was pretty bad. There was a lot. Then we see how not only did he have power over nature, power over demons, the supernatural. We saw last week, how he had power over disease and healing the woman with the blood issue. And then power over death when he raised Jairus' daughter of 12 years of age who had died. All of this Luke is writing down for the reader as eyewitness account to testify to you and to me, to others who would read, about this person, Jesus Christ. And how distinct and set apart he is. Because of his claims, Christ claims equality with God. Because Christ is God, manifest in the flesh. And the great thing about historical documents such as this, when these things were written, they could have been disputed. They could have been protested and we would no doubt have other writings that would say such, but you know what? We don't. Even in secular writings from the time periods, we find authentication that this person of Christ was someone uniquely different. And so that's important that you and I understand this because Christ is not just some man who made an impact for the good of society. That's not why Christ came. That's not who Christ is. Christ is exactly who He claimed to be. God incarnate. And He has the ability, therefore, because of who He is, to redeem man. Man is plagued by an incurable disease. Apart from Him. That disease is sin. We've all sinned. Every one of us. That's what separates us from God. We have a sin nature. We're spiritually dead. We don't desire the things of God. Let's just be honest. When you come out of the womb, you're headed to the tomb. And to keep with the rhyme, it's doom. So, you have a sin nature. In Adam, descendants of Adam, every one of us in this room, we're plagued with a disease called sin. 
that leads to death. Unless God does something, we're in trouble. Great thing is he did something 2,000 years ago. He sent his only begotten son. Jesus Christ's purpose in coming to this world was to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what he did. Lived a sinless life. Perfection. He never sinned. And he willingly laid down his life so that you and I could be forgiven of our sin. You see, we needed righteousness. He had it. We needed to do something with our sin. He took it. And that's what the cross of Calvary was about. The wages of sin is death. Christ paid our penalty for us. Placed in the tomb and three days later to prove who he was, he rose from the dead, victorious over death. And he's ascended to heaven and one day he's coming back. One day things that are wrong will be made right. And the question is, have you found the grace and the forgiveness that Christ offers? If you've never turned from your sin and called upon a Savior to save you, if you've never called upon Jesus Christ, the only name, the only name given amongst men by which to be saved, the name of Christ, then I encourage you, let today be the day of surrender and salvation in your life. That's the good news. And Jesus is now been preparing these 12 disciples. Think about it. You remember, you go back. They, they, he'd been up in the mountain praying. He came down. He, he, he called the, his followers together of the 120 plus probably gathered. He chose 12 apostles. That word apostle simply means one sent out. With a specific delegated task. And so that's what he, he had done. He had gathered these. He had been training them. All of this was sort of training ground. They've been with Jesus. They've been seeing all these miracles. They've been eyewitness account to everything that's going on. They've seen how he calmed the storm. They saw how he cast out demons. They saw how he healed this woman of an issue. They saw where he raised a girl from the dead. They have been eyewitness account. They've been under his tutorage. They've been learning and studying the ways of God and eyewitness to the glory of God in Christ. And so now, chapter 9, verse 1, he calls those 12 together. And notice what he does. He gives them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. Power and authority. It's been said power is the ability to do something. Power is the ability to do something Authority is the right to do it. Let me read that again. Power is the ability to do something. Authority is the right to do it. God has given them the right to do this. He's given them the power to do this, the ability to do this. Now, I want to say this. Some folks today, they believe this power still exists, this authority still rests as disciples. You're a disciple... You're a follower of Christ, therefore you have power and authority over demons and you have power and authority to heal the sick. And I know, I realize some folks listening via the radio, I may step on their toes. Some of you in here today, I may step on your toes, but that's okay because 
Um, my responsibility is to proclaim the truth. And here's the truth. This was a unique calling for this time period. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that God doesn't still heal. He does. But this was a unique, uniquely invested authority and power given to these 12 that are gathered right here. He called His 12 together and He gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Now, why is that? Why is that there and not here? Well, let's talk about it. First off, we need a little history. These 12 that are selected, this was... Twelve that were selected as a judgment upon Israel. Think about it. Who's he been talking to? Who's he been speaking to? And by the way, these two, are, these guys are sent out to Israel. They're told at this point not to go to the Gentiles, just go to the house of Israel. And, and we'll talk about that as we move forward in, in Luke's gospel. But I want you to understand, the twelve represent the twelve tribes of Israel. That's why he selected twelve. Okay? Uh, you remember the 12 spies uh, back in Numbers. There is, uh, uh, there is a reason for this number. Now, basically, in this situation, he selects 12 as a judgment against Israel. Israel's rejected Christ as the Messiah. Isn't it funny? Christ didn't choose any Pharisee. He didn't choose any, any Sadducee. None of the, the religious establishment... None of these guys were that. These were ordinary guys. These are fishermen, tax collector. I mean, you know, that's scum of the earth in that day. These are, these are ordinary Joes. You talk about upsetting the apple cart. Here's the Messiah, and he doesn't select any of those guys to be his twelve. It's a form of judgment being pronounced against Israel. And so they go out as his representatives invested with that authority and that power. And it's important that we understand this. Understanding that again, this was a temporary authority as far as the healing, the casting out of demons... How do I know that? Well, Scripture with Scripture. Turn over to Hebrews. Hebrews. Again, I don't expect you to take anything I say as true. You weigh it against God's Word. And if it's true, praise be to God. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 2. The, the author here, we're not certain who that author is. It may be Paul, may not be, but not really important at this point. But you notice it says in chapter 2, verse 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him? God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts 
of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. Okay. Now let me unpack this for a second. You've got to understand, this is written to a second generation church of Jewish believers. And these Jewish believers were thinking about going back into Judaism. Even though Christ has set them free from the law, they're contemplating this thought because men have crept in unaware and trying to influence them that they need to start going back to some of the, you know, the ceremonial laws and, and, and things of that nature and some of the practices of the law. And so the author's writing to, to say, look, you know, he, he's, he's letting them know, not a good idea. The author's trying to convince them in his writing of the superiority of Christ. So here's the point of the text. If signs and wonders are still common in the church during this writing, why didn't he appeal to their current experiences? Do you follow what I'm saying? In other words, if, if this was still going on in the second generation that's being written to, he would have said, look, you know this to be true. You know Christ is superior because He's given you all the power and authority as disciples to do the things that you're doing. But that's not what he says. He says this was confirmed by a sign. You see, when Jesus gives the apostles the power and ability to do things like cure the sick, heal the sick, in our text Luke said everywhere, raise the dead. I mean, come on. If, if you and I don't know about you, if I had that ability, I wouldn't be standing here today talking to you. I'd be down at the hospital. Because there's a lot of people down there that need to be healed. I'm just saying. You know, I don't see Benny Hinn breaking down the doors at the local hospital. Do you? Guys, we have foolishly bought into deceptive, lying wonders and signs. And we shouldn't be surprised because Scripture warns us that in the end times there will be lying wonders and signs. Now people don't like to hear this straightforward talk because they think somehow this is a talk against God. No, no, no. God very well can choose to heal, and He does. Some of you know and have experienced. Some of you may have personally experienced but he doesn't need some guy in a white suit to come up and zap you to do it. But don't miss the point of what the author in Hebrews is saying. This is a very fundamental, important truth. If he's writing to the second generation of Jewish believers and those Jews are being reminded of how superior Christ is because you know you witnessed the sign gifts that were given to the apostles. That's what it was for. The apostolic gifts were a sign for their message. How are you going to authenticate a message? Because you can get a lot of messages. How are you going to authenticate if it's true or false? Well, in, those, in, the, in that time period, this is why Christ invested in those twelve the power and the authority so that when they go into a town, unlike the, the philosophers and the pagans and the others who were also peddling a message in the town, these guys actually could back their message. We are spokespeople of God. Bring out your sick. And they begin to heal people. But don't focus on that. 
That's not what they were sent to do. That was a byproduct of what they were doing. It was to authenticate who they were so that they had the approval, the authority. They knew that these people truly are from God. And, and again, I think this passage, and that's only one. By the way, if you want more on this, there is a great book just being released this month. It's called Strange Fire. And it's going to delve into 400 plus scriptures that authenticate why some of this is going on under the umbrella of Christianity is dangerous. It's potentially strange fire. It very well may not be of God. And I encourage you to get that book. It's called Strange Fires by John MacArthur. But the point is here in this text, these miracles were special sign gifts to authenticate the message of the messenger. Um, consider 1 Corinthians. I'll just read it. No need to turn there. 1 Corinthians 1, 22 and 24 says, For Jews request a sign. Paul's writing that. He says, look, Jews request a sign. And Greeks, they seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. To the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see, they knew going out, some people are going to hear this and some people are going to reject this. And you know what, disciple? Sometimes when you go out and proclaim the message of Christ, some people are going to hear it and some people are going to reject it. But it doesn't change the fact that it's the power of God unto salvation. And that's why we have to share it. And so here we find Christ commissioning His twelve, gathering them together, and He gives them the power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. But notice verse 2 of Luke. We're back in Luke 9. Verse 2. This is their mission. This is what they were called. Look, again, the healing's a byproduct. That's, an, that's just sort of a sign gift to, to, to let them know, you know, they come in the name of the Lord. But notice verse 2. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. The emphasis is to preach the kingdom of God, to bring salvation. That was the main focus, and it still is the main focus even today. Now, eventually, we'll find later as we go through the book of Luke... They're going to, he's going to commission 72 to go out. You're going to see some, some crazy things happening there. And uh, there again, there's a special um, uh, authority given in regards to that text. We'll get into that when we get there. Uh, but if some of your thoughts are there already, let's bring it back. We will cover that. Notice, this is uh, where it gets interesting. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and heal the six, verse 3, and said to them, take nothing for the journey. Neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics apiece. Okay? Take nothing. Turn with me to Matthew. Go ahead and turn over to Matthew. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And let's look, let me read verses 1 through 15. 
And when he called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. Uh, first Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, uh, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labaius, uh, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Uh, these twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Again, this is a judgment being pronounced upon those uh, for rejecting the Messiah. They're going to reject and crucify him, so he starts with them. Um, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. By the way, if you think the the spiritual gifts, these kind of gifts are still for today, then go to the graveyard today. You get some work done, okay? Raise some dead. There's some out there that that probably would like to see you. Um, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bags for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Hmm. Well, let me stop right there. Go ahead and turn over to Mark. Matthew, Mark. Matthew, Mark. Mark 6. Let's go to Mark 6. Mark 6. Six, verses 7 through 11. And he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a... Huh? Except a staff? <laughs> well, wait a minute. The, the other two gospels said don't take a staff. Oh boy. Let's keep going. Uh, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear wear sandals? I thought they weren't supposed to wear sandals. Oh my. And not to put on two tunics. Well, at least we got that right. Now obviously you guys know I'm being facetious up here, but what are you going to do with that? Seems to be a contradiction. No sandals, no staff. Um, but one of the writers said sandals and staff. Hmm. Some of your King James may say, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. Still doesn't change the seeming <laughs> conflict between the various gospel writers. So, Christian, what are you going to do? Because I can assure you, Bart Erdman at the uh, local Chapel Hill store is going to put out this product and tell your young, smart children that, you see, God's Word can't be trusted. These don't even match. Oh, you're a Christian? Well, what do you do with that passage where one guy says... Thus saith the Lord, takes, you know, because Jesus is telling them, take a staff, take some sandals, 
But then the other guy said, Jesus said, don't take a staff, don't take some sandals. Now, shame on me for even doing this because this doesn't even have anything to do with the message, but this is where they're going to take you, right? And this is why, gang, we study the Word of God verse by verse, line by line. This is why we talk about it. Now, I know right now you're more passive, but I'm going to tell you, Wednesday night we get some great Bible discussion going on around the table. Sunday school, we get some good discussion going around the table. Why? Because I believe the Christian faith is solid in evidence. I believe that it makes more sense to believe in Christianity than to believe in anything else that you could believe in. Because it is grounded in evidence. You look around and you see the handiwork of God. It screams to us that there's a Creator. And this book that we call the Bible has withstood the test of time. It's the most historically accurate document that's ever been discovered. And we ought to be asking, why is our faith being hijacked as some kind of just you know spiritual guidance book lumped with all the other fairy tales of all the other uh, fairy tales that are out there when we really ought to be screaming and asking, why is this not being taught as historical documentation, as solid evidence, because there's more evidence to support this book than any other historical document that's ever been discovered. How can you put 20-some thousand manuscripts that have been discovered for Old Testament, New Testament, and various languages um, against you know, less than 10 for things that you're required to study in school, such as Caesar and, and, and Plato and Aristotle and some of these writings that we... you know Nobody ever disputes that. you got less than a hand, two handfuls of those documents, but you got 20-plus thousand that have been discovered all around the world that are lining up. See, this is why this book is true, because this book warns us that this world is not our home, that the little g-god of this world has blinded the minds of those who are perishing. But you know what that means for you and me, Christian? We better understand these kind of passages so that when we meet somebody who's not scoffing, but seeking, or when a scoffer comes to us in a classroom setting and asks these kind of questions, that we don't cower away because we don't know the answer. And it's okay if you don't know the answer. But don't just go away and say, well, I don't know the answer. Never come back. Let them know. I don't know the answer, but that's a good question. Let me see what I can find out. Let me do some homework. And then get back to them. Because in a classroom setting or in a setting at work or wherever you find yourself and somebody throws that out to be a scoffer, I can guarantee you they're listening or seekers. And they want to have faith. They want to believe that this is true. They're wanting to believe in something. And God may use you as a disciple, as a follower because he's invested in you the power and authority to proclaim the gospel as a born-again believer. And so therefore, don't be someone who is not rightly dividing the word of truth because then that would be shame. He says, study to show yourself approved so that you are not ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. So let's talk about this. This is one of those providential rabbit trails. We'll try and get back to the message. Seems like a contradiction. Now, again, I told you when I started this I'm going to offer a few solutions, but I'm not real satisfied where I am in this study on it. 
So I'm going to keep studying it. And I hope you will. Because I know enough about the Word of God when there's a seeming contradiction, there's always a solid solution. Sometimes we have to dig it out. And that's what God wants to do. Because when you dig it out, man, your faith is strengthened. Is it ever strengthened? But here's some thoughts. Just some thoughts. Some have offered that the problem is found in the Greek translation into English. That uh, there is this idea that's found in the original that is implying to these disciples that um, they're not to take an extra. Because what Jesus, and this is the point of the passage, and this is why these Pharisees of today want to strain it, and uh, they, they, they strain it in that while they're trying to get you to swallow a camel. But they, they focus in too close on this and they miss the point of the context. What is Jesus' point in this to his disciples? Here's his point. He's saying, don't worry about your provisions. Go as you are. Take what you've got right now and go. There's no need to to worry about buying supplies. No need to worry about getting something that's self-defense. And that's another one of the potential solutions to the seeming conflict is a walking staff in the day was common. Everybody almost always in that part of the... Uh, of the country, and, and I guess John probably knows this better than any, the Afghanistan area and, and so forth. That, it's a lot of rocky and sandy places, I'm assuming, and tough you know, to kind of get your footing uh, going up and down some hills and mountains. This is kind of like the terrain of Jesus' day. So it was common. Almost everybody had a walking staff. I mean, that just goes without saying. So if I say to Dallas, Dallas, go, go as you are, man. Listen, don't worry about anything. You just go. Well, he's going to get up with his, you know, his stick, and he's going to go. So one thought is, don't take an extra. But there's also another seeming solution is, there were two types of staves. One was used for walking, one was used for a weapon. Some were small. Some would be used like a small wooden stick, almost like a knife or, or some type. They would, they would use different types of sticks. One would be a weapon, one would be for walking. Maybe that's being implied there. Again, these are just some of the solutions that are being offered um, again, let's look at the text specifically. By the way, Luke seems to follow Matthew a lot in, in the style of writing. And, um, but uh, there again, there, there, there seems to be that seeming contradiction. Notice in, in Luke chapter 9, Take nothing for your journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. So, uh, again, what's the main point of Jesus? I'm going to provide. Don't take extra. What about the sandals? Well, interesting, again, in the translation, some of your King James may pick up on this one, and this is where I'll give them a bit of a thumbs up, because this seems to get this one right. Not that the others get it wrong, but... 
um, when you look at the original language, one of them translates shoes, the other one translates sandals. And it's actually known that there were things that went on the bottom of the sandals, things that they put over like a shoe to, to help get grip. So maybe, there's a re- that maybe this is what he's referencing, not to, you know, you've got your sandals, you're going to go as you are because you've got your sandals on. Who's going barefooted? Nobody goes barefooted in that day. I mean, again, a lot of this we just got to think through common sense as we approach the Scripture to, to understand the context, the full context. He, he's not, they're not going barefooted. So I really believe that he's saying don't get an extra pack, don't get an extra staff, don't get an extra two tunics, um, you know, which mama always told you, take a clean pair of underwear. Jesus didn't tell you that, that was your mama. So the two tunics you can leave at home, all right? But go as you are. Now, that instruction is changed, by the way. We'll see when we get into Luke 22. There's a different instruction when the folks are sent out there. I don't find this as troubling as some would want to make it. And obviously I painted the picture a little more troubling to you earlier when I challenged you, and what are you going to do with that? But uh, again, I think there's more to be discovered there. Uh, I'm still searching through it myself. I'm at a place of I'm okay with... Uh, uh, by the way, just to be honest, just to be transparent, another possible solution is a scribal error. Oh, you mean the Word of God can't be trusted? I didn't say that. There are scribal errors. That doesn't affect the truth of God's Word. A scribal error does not affect the truth of God's Word. I know that's kind of earth-shattering for some folks to even hear that. (laughs) But um, God has preserved the truth of His Word. And you are Bible students, and you should know this. That's why we don't get caught up in the translation wars um, unless they are perverting the truth. Then we have a fight. But the truth isn't changed. If I say... Get up off of thy under seat to that thy under door. Or I say, Roger, could you get up and go to the door? I think you get the point. The truth is not changed. So anyway, we've digressed long enough on that side issue. But I like to hit those. And that's one of the things why I like going through the study of God's Word. Because the reality is, if you, if you don't get hit with some seeming contradictions in your walk, then you just ain't living your faith. So, don't back away from those battles, but go into them with gentleness and meekness. And always be ready to give a reason for the hope that's within you. So, back to the text. Jesus' point here, and I don't want to lose this in going into that whole rabbit trail, because this is important that we don't miss the point, because it's a huge point. Jesus sent them to preach the kingdom, to heal the sick. And He said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tenants apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, again, what was Jesus' point? He's telling them. Luke's already established. They've already seen This man calms the storms. 
this man cast out demons. Supernatural power. We've witnessed it. We've seen that. This man heals the sick. This man has pronounced forgiveness of sins to prostitutes. This man has healed and brought back to life the dead. I can trust that my needs are going to be met. Christian, I want to ask you an honest question because this is an application of what we're looking at. Here's an application. How are you doing? How am I doing? How are we doing with trusting Christ to meet our needs? Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And these things, they'll be added unto you. That's an application we still have today. But my concern is, just as we see in this text, some of these guys naturally were probably thinking, well, man, what are we going to do to eat? What if, what if a lion jumps out, you know, or some, somebody tries to attack me? I need my knife, man. I need my, I need my stave. I need, you know... You know, and, and besides, it gets cold at night. I might need an extra tunic. You know, I'm just saying. You know, what about what are we, what are we money? I mean, it, it costs. Ministry costs. Jesus said, "Don't take anything extra. You just go." How many of us are? are be honest with God. You know, I, I'm man. How am I going to pay this? Where, where's that going to come from? Well, let me ask you more, a more important question. Where, where is your life in relation to seeking after God, His kingdom, His righteousness? Because my guess is I've experienced in my own life when these things are out of order, it's probably because I'm distracted by my things and the, my eyes are on the things instead of on Christ. But i found when my eyes are on Christ, I don't know how other than He's more than able. Provisions there. Now that doesn't mean I get my wants met. There's a big difference between steak and PB and J, <laughs> right? <laughs> but your your needs are met. I think that's a great lesson that we can take just from this first point. We have been sent on a mission to be witnesses of Christ. You and I who are here and we are born-again believers, you are on a mission. You have been given orders from the commander, Christ. And He says, go. Don't worry about these things. You keep your focus where your focus is supposed to be, upon Christ. He'll provide what's needed. He'll meet the needs. And, and know that you don't go alone. You go with the authority and the power that He's invested in you. And you shall receive power. And you shall be my witnesses. Right? 
I mean, we know in the authority sense, we still are on that commissioned mission to proclaim the gospel. Well, let me wrap things up as we move here to close out. By the way, the first point, if you're taking notes, was to go for Him. Go for Him. Closing out that point, notice what He tells them to do in going for Him. And this is important. Notice that as they went from town to town preaching the gospel, healing everywhere, verse 7... Actually, let me back it up. Verse 5, because I want, I, want to, I want to highlight this. This is an uh, important point. Notice he says, Whoever will not receive you, because this is going to happen, Christian. People are going to reject your message. You Bible believers, Bible thumpers, you're going to get some rejection. Christ knew that. He knew that they were going to, he was going to be sending them out. They were going to get rejected. He says, and whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Now, shaking the dust off your feet, the Jews knew this. This was a, a ritual that they often practiced. Anytime they would go to the impure area of the Gentile city, when their feet would leave and they were returning to the land of Israel because they didn't have fellowship with the Samaritans. They didn't mix with the, the mixed breed. They didn't mix with the Gentile pagan. And so if they had been through that area, when they, before they would come back to Israel, they'd leave that city, they would, as a judgment against them, they'd kick the sand off of their shoes. They had no fellowship with them. Here, Jesus' um, his disciples are, are going to other Jews, symbolizing their refusal of the kingdom of God and consequent refusal to be a part of the genuine Israel. So, again, this is, this is uh, a pronouncement. They were taking this message, even though people were seeing miracles being done, even though they were seeing these healings, they were still rejecting Jesus as Messiah. Well, the second point is glorify Him. We want to go for him, but we also want to glorify him. Notice uh, what happens in verse 7 through 9. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. Herod said, John, I've, I've beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? So he sought to see him. Now, Herod Antipas, we've talked about him already. We're going to be talking about more about him as we move forward in the text because he's going to come up again in the Gospel of Luke. But real quickly, he was basically the son of Herod the Great. Jesus later calls him that fox. So if you're wondering what the fox says, just read what Herod says, okay? That's what the fox says. Anyway, he called him that fox. Um, Tetrarch, that's, that means literally it translates the fourth ruling. This is the fourth ruling. His area was Galilee and Perea uh, from about 4 B.C. to 39 A.D. He ruled and reigned. But notice the thing I want you to pick up on is this. Herod heard of all that was being done by the disciples? Is that what it says? No. He heard all that was being done by him. Church, 
as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, we have a mission to go for Him. We have a mission to proclaim the gospel of Christ. But it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Him. And the greatest thing that can be said about us is not what we've done, but what He's done in us and through us. To God be the glory. This is, this is about Him. I hope that when people say something about you, they recognize Christ in you. And that only comes when we're yielded, surrendered to His will for our life in that mission. Herod has heard what's being said about him. The reference to Elijah, uh, it could be an allusion to uh, 2 Kings talks about it. Malachi 4 talks about uh, the return of Elijah's expected in, in the person of Christ before the great terrible day of the Lord. So, so again, they're, they're kind of grappling with, you know, is this, is this, could this be fulfillment of that prophecy? There's all this buzz going on in that time, in that region, because all of these miraculous things are happening. You'll find, too, as, he, as Jesus uh, begins to embark on His journey, which, by the way, at the end of chapter 9, we're going to see a turning point where Jesus is, from that point forward, it's, it's to Jerusalem. I mean, it's a, He knows it's coming. It's headed, he's headed to the cross at Calvary. And there's going to be a transition. At this point, Luke's just been laying out some sort of highlights of the ministry to, to again, accentuate the person of Christ and who He is. But now the, the mission's going to turn and it's going to be headed to the cross. But... You're going to hear when that happens. Some of the crowd's going to begin to, you know, who is this? Who, who, who is this man? Some are going to say he's a prophet. And some are going to say he's Elijah. And some are going to say he's John reincarnated. You know, again, there's all kinds of crazy thoughts out there. And we're going to find in just a short while as we move forward in the text, eventually he's going to ask his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say Christ is? Is He just a good man? Just a good teacher? Or is He truly Lord of life? And if He's Lord of life, is He Lord of your life? Who's Jesus to you? Do you have the information you need to make a decision about Christ? See... Even with these comments, you see rejection. They think he's Elijah. They think he's an Old Testament prophet. They wonder, could it be John the Baptist? But Herod says, I beheaded him. Herod's scared. He's scared. That's what we say in these parts. He's scared. Because you remember Herod had him beheaded, John the Baptist. He knew he was a righteous man. And in fact, he, and he actually, the Bible says he enjoyed listening to him. He would have him come in. Sometimes he actually was, was just intrigued by this man. But he, he, was just, he, was, he was also upset because he pointed out his sin. So I wonder, who do you say Jesus is? We're going to see the sad scene when Jesus comes face to face, when he, finally, when he finally meets Herod. We're going to be a while before we get there. That's Luke 23. We're only in Luke 9. <laughs> but it's coming. It's coming. 
Stay tuned. Well, I appreciate your time today. Um, Some closing thoughts. Proclaiming the good news. Go for Him. Glorify Him. And next week, Lord willing, we're going to look at gathering unto Him. What does that mean? What does that entail? What happens in this text? What's coming next? Jesus has sent His disciples to proclaim the good news. He's given them authority to be a witness for Christ. Christ is being made much of in and through the lives of His followers. Church, is that happening with you? I'll ask Larry to come and and play an invitational song, but I just want us to think about this. Where are you today? Do you know Christ? Is He Lord of your life? Is He your Savior? Have you come to that point of understanding who He is, why He came, what He's done for you? Because if you haven't, I want to encourage you, today can be your day of salvation. It's a matter of the heart. And if the Spirit of God has dealt with your heart today, convicting you that, um, like all of us, a sinner, we all had to come to that point. Those of us who know Christ as our Lord and Savior, we had to come to a point and a place where we recognize, you know what? God's holy and I'm not. My desires, my thoughts are sin, sinful. I'm broke, I need fixing. And that's why Christ came. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. And it may be that the Spirit of God is searching your heart even today. And if that's the case, I just trust you will be responsive to the Spirit of God, not to some music or me speaking. I, I don't want it to be any form of manipulation at all. That's not of God. But if you know the truth, the truth can and will set you free. And Jesus Christ is the truth. He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. Let's pray. Father.